It's Tom again for the Three Point Podcast. Three sports guys, three generations, and three hot takes. The triple threat includes Ted Fatel of Sportsnet Michigan and WJSC radio representative the Baby Boomers. Our Gen Xer is Matt Burns of ESPN and the SEC Network out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And the Millennial Man is Jared Fatel of Fox 17 TV in Grand Rapids, Michigan and Fat Stack Sports. The show is syndicated worldwide on Sports Radio Detroit and MWSN Radio and is a Sportsnet Michigan production recorded at the Z92.5 Castle Mid-Michigan Studios. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and other big podcast hosting sites. Comments and suggestions can be sent via social media at 3PointPod or by email to 3PointPod at gmail.com. The fellows will get it rolling right after this. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the area's go-to spot for the best in food and drink. Meet up with your friends and catch your favorite sporting events on over 20 high-def flat-screen TVs. And our 120-inch projection screen. Rivals can handle your larger, small parties and is an awesome spot to put on your fundraising events. Weekly food and drink specials including gourmet burgers, wings, pizza, homemade soup, and salads. Rivals also stocks a large selection of craft and domestic brews. Rivals Tap House and Grill, the official gathering spot of three-point podcast located on the corner of Shiawassee and M21 in Corona. 85, 90, 95, 100. Looking for items to buy or sell? Look no further than SheridanAuctionService.com. We will solve your problem. Bring Sheridan Realty and auction your items and we will market them all over the country and get them sold. If you are looking to buy items, we can help with that too. Call today, 989-720-SELL. It's fast, easy, and we get results. SheridanAuctionService.com. Buy or sell, we'll get it done for you. Call 989-720-SELL. You'll do better with Sheridan. Nelson House Funeral Home's number one goal is to serve the families in our community. They're not tied into an out-of-state corporation or their board of directors. The Nelson House staff are proud to serve our local community with reliability, integrity, and compassion. The top priority is caring for our friends and neighbors, being right there when you need them most. With unique service to represent unique lives in mid-Michigan, ensuring your loved ones receive the honor and celebration they deserve. The business started in 1880 and continues the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine, and New Lothrop. For more details, see them on the web at nelsonhouse.com or call them at 989-723-5234. Welcome to this encore presentation of Three Point Podcast. Our partners include Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, and Sheridan Auction Service. Subscribe and listen in on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or any of the other big podcast hosting sites. Hit us with your comments and questions on social media at Three Point Pod. And on this episode, we got quite the threesome joining us. It's Ant Wright. Chris Castellani and Connor Muldowney from episode 70, 95, and 110, respectively. All right, guys. Well, we're super excited about this one. We've got a guest on with us. His name is Anthony Wright. If you don't remember him, he played uh, basketball at Michigan back in the Tommy Amaker in the early John Beeline days. And uh, he's, I mean, he's a Twitter superstar. You can follow him at It's Ant Wright on Twitter. And we're super excited to talk to him about a bunch of things, but we're recording this on Sunday evening, 
So if you follow Ant on Twitter, you know that he's getting into Game of Thrones. Is this all right? We're we're getting this in before uh, Game of Thrones tonight, Ant? Yeah, um, we're about to start it up in about in about thirty minutes. So we're going to start up on we're still season one, episode six, and we're going to just kind of go go from there and just grind it out. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, I know uh, we'll probably talk about Game of Thrones and and maybe uh, the Marvel movies a little later. But I want to ask real quick first about. Playing for John Beeline, if you know any Michigan fans or anyone that grew up in Michigan following college basketball knows, there was kind of a rough stretch in the early 2000s with Michigan basketball. Tommy Amaker, he did a great job with the situation that he was given. You you know a lot more about him than than us, but I want to ask about John Beeline. In your opinion, why was John Beeline the right guy to come in and you know when Michigan basketball is kind of in a rough spot, kind of right the ship and get Michigan back to being one of the best programs in all of college basketball? Right. Well, one of the main things is that a lot of people uh, weren't really impressed with his resume coming in. Because even though he was at West Virginia, it's not like he was down there winning the winning the Big East. He wasn't down there. It was the Big East back then. I know West Virginia is on the Big 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 Twelve, but back in the day, they were in a different conference. It's not like they were down there just national contenders every year. I think they were contenders like twice, I believe. And they had just won like the NIT championship before they came over. So a big thing was the administration at Michigan uh, being able to realize Beeline's potential in terms of a basketball coach. They didn't say, well, they weren't focused on his accolades. They were more focused on him being able to win everywhere he goes and pretty much does it his own way. So him coming in, it wasn't the most popular decision from what I know, but you know, right away he he came in with a very different mindset. Our first practice was working on like scoop layups for like an hour. We worked on you know wrong foot, wrong hand layups. I mean, we were doing things that you know, we have that we've never done before. So a little bit outside the box thinkers coming in from the way John Beeline was and the way that he is he is now. Uh, it's just night and day. He's just been able to just adapt and grow over time as a person and, and, and you know, as a, as a basketball coach. I see, I see him doing things now where it was pretty foreign from when I was there. Um, he used to have his hands on everything, like everything. He really didn't give his assistant coach, coaches a lot of, like, a lot of flack in terms of um, power to take your take that position and kind of do your do your thing he had his hands on literally everything nowadays he's more of a manager less of having his hands on and he's less what's the word he's less of a micromanager as well too so i think one of the bigger things is that you know he was sat down i believe after his after 2010 and he was pretty much told like you know hey you have these assistance with you you can't do everything you know to for you to be great you know you have to trust these people that you're bringing in and that was the first real overhaul of his of his coaching staff altogether the job beeline that i played under is very different than the beeline that there is out there there are some similarities but it's very very different the culture is very 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 different our culture was we got to get back to the NCAA tournament the culture now is all right. We have to compete for the Big Ten title, and you know, hopefully, we get a good seating and a good matchup on the way to possibly another Final Four. You know what I mean? So, yeah. the culture altogether is way, way different. We didn't have anyone that we could look up to back then who's been there and done that. 
And I have a quick question, actually two. The first one is, what do you want us to call you? Aunt Anthony, what's your mom call you? My mom calls me Anthony. The only, I mean, honestly, Aunt, just Aunt is totally, totally fun. All right. Well, Aunt, uh, we're talking about Beeline a little bit, and you were recruited by Amaker. How was it for you personally <clears throat> to uh, have to work for a new coach right away? I mean, I didn't really play under Amaker. Uh-huh. I kind of, I registered that year, so... My real first year playing was with Beeline. Okay. Um, it was totally fine. It was totally fine. My my playing style matched quite a bit with what he wanted to do. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, there were times when I didn't play and there were times when I started. And, you know, and everything in between. So it was just uh, part of the business, per se. Um, I've never gone through that where I've had to switch coaches in such a short period of time, but... Having those guys around me, players-wise, like Dave Barrett, C.J. Lee, Javon Shepard, Deshaun Sims, and Zach Gibson, and, and all those guys, I mean, it just it made the transition a lot better because there were still familiar faces around me. So, yeah, obviously you don't play for Michigan anymore, but I would say you're still really, really important to the Michigan Athletic Program on Twitter because I think you kind of control the narrative of what fans like me and maybe Matt like kind of think about Michigan sports. Do you feel responsible to kind of controlling that narrative when, you know, maybe some crazy fans say fire Harbaugh or fire Beeline after like a Sweet 16 exit? I mean, I don't think I have that much power, but <laughs> I think, I think um, I'm not trying to come off as like arrogant or anything, but <laughs> – I do feel a certain responsibility in terms of what I say and how I say it. Because as soon as I say something that can be even semi-controversial, um, it's going to be on every blog for Michigan. And then next thing you know, like, I'm getting texts and phone calls like, hey, did you, you know, what's this about? You know what I mean? So I feel a responsibility to kind of keep everyone even keeled as best as I can, especially when it's pretty chaotic. In football, it's a little bit... Uh, I like to have fun with it <laughs> because the success hasn't really been there, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of people when Harbaugh hadn't even coached a game yet who were like, you know, Beeline wishes he was the coach of Jim Harbaugh, and I took that kind of personal. So that's why you see me trolling the, the uh, fo- football team quite, <laughs> quite a bit. Mm-hmm. But um, the biggest part is keeping folks as even-keeled as possible. When something happens on the basketball court, like I have to be – I have to be the person, because people are going to ask me anyway. So I just put out there, like, this is what I think about this. And I I try to make it so people can kind of put down the tiki torches and you know, relax and come down a bit. I mean, what what oh, is yeah. it about Michigan Twitter? They had a, a tournament, you know, around March Madness for the tournament for Michigan Twitter. I saw Michigan State did the same thing, a, a bracket for Michigan State Twitter. But a lot of those the handles that showed up for the Michigan State Twitter don't nearly have the following that you or guys like Scott Bell have. So what is it about, like, Michigan Twitter or, I guess, the Michigan fan base that makes, I don't know, they like that big of an impact or, you know, that widespread ag- across the country? Michigan State Twitter accounts just aren't very good. <laughs> I'll just come out and say that. Like, like all in all, um, their Twitter accounts are not very good. And I don't know why that is. They just don't have really good accounts. I think one of their better accounts is World of Isaac, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, and he's not. I mean, like he he like tweets about Michigan State, but he's like part of like a national writing service, so it's a little bit different. There aren't really any personalities over there. Um, not 
I'm not completely sure why that is. To be so dominant on the football and on the basketball court, you would think that those people would emerge mm-hmm. um, as like, okay, okay, this account makes sense. This account has great content. But content-wise, no accounts do it consistently. And I don't know why. I don't know why. Michigan State people go out of their way to tell us that. They're just like, I man, I really wish Michigan State had two or three guys like either myself or LG or or uh, Scott, but they just don't exist. Not sure why that is. So we're we're obviously, I mean, we're talking a lot about Michigan, but you can't forget Michigan State basketball in the state of Michigan, and we mentioned Michigan State football too. And Tom Izzo, he's one of the best coaches of all time. You played against him. What is it about, I mean, Beeline, but also Tom Izzo, what is it about those two coaches that make them, year in and year out, the best coaches in the country with, you know, two of the best teams in the country also, not not necessarily always Final Four teams, but is it their style? Is it that, like you said, they coach and teach fundamentals? They're great defensive coaches. What is it about those two coaches that, you know, year in and year out, they're always right there towards the top of college basketball? Right. They recruit their own guys, and – I find that funny because they very rarely recruit the same guys. Like, very rarely you would see them fighting for one recruit. That happened with Brandon Johns. It happened with Livers. I mean, outside of that, like, they're not really fighting for the same person. I think the playing styles are very, very different. But I think, you know, Izzo gets his guys to play very, very hard. They play a brand of basketball that is super tough, which doesn't really not really a, a thing in 2019 where, you know, toughness isn't really looked at as a as an attribute or as a skill. You know, toughness is a skill, I believe. Competing is a skill. And Izzo has mastered both. You know, this past Michigan State team, talent-wise, probably one of his worst. But in terms of toughness and competing and playing together as just one unit, um, probably one of his better teams. Uh, if you look at Beeline, I mean, this was probably one of his, you know, ends up like one of his mid-tier teams, like 30 wins, but they hung no banners this year, you know? And they were super talented. They were just missing one alpha. They were missing an alpha guard. If they had an alpha guard, they beat Michigan State probably two out of three or all three, or, or all three uh, times. I think that was the one difference. You know, Ant, you're a Michigan man for sure, and uh, we've had a debate here on Three Point Podcast about both teams this year, specifically Michigan with 30 wins, but uh, not being able to beat the Spartans, you know, and getting knocked out in the tournament. Would you have still classified this as a great season, a very good season? How, how would you classify the Wolverines' performance? If I were to tell you in 2007, <laughs> so this, you know, Michigan in 12 years will have 30 wins, and they lose in the Sweet 16, and that'll be Beeline's probably his fifth or sixth best season, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Kind of puts it in perspective. You know what I mean? It puts it all into perspective. So, But the bar that Beeline has put on the program, culture-wise, it was a bit of a letdown because there's, you know, it was a bit of a letdown when it comes to the bar that he made for the program. If you put it all into perspective, it's still a hell of an accomplishment, for sure. But it comes down to, where's the program now? The program right now is probably you know, top ten, culture-wise, in terms of going out there and not only getting to the tournament, but putting yourself in a position to win the whole thing. You know, how many other teams really have that year in and year out? 
you know, since what, 20, 2012? They've had it every year except 14, 15, and 15, 16. They've had it every year where they've either won the Big Ten title or they were seated in a, in a position to make some noise. And that's been almost every year since 2012. So it was a down year based on where the program is right now. But in perspective, you know, 30 wins is 30 wins. Yeah, you know, that, is an, that is an incredible feat. It just shows you how far the program has come. Well, we're talking with Ant Wright, the former Michigan Wolverine, and I have a question I want to th- go back. And I've always been fascinated and curious about uh, the players that go through Oak Hill Academy in Virginia. Tell us a little bit about your process, how you got there, and uh, what it was like playing for that, that, that school and you know some of the perks that came with that. It was a lot of fun. So I got there my freshman year. I went to a school called Bishop O'Connell. Left there and then went down to try out for the Oak Hill basketball team because one of my one of the kids that was in my um, in my AAU pro program he was like a couple years older though his his name was Isaiah he ended up going to Florida State he went to Oak Hill and he was just like yeah just come down say what's up to Coach Smith come hoop and he'll say yeah you you can play for us or no you can't. Mm-hmm. More than likely, it was going to be a no, you can't. But it was a good opportunity to just you know go down and just hoop and have fun. So I went down there and um, I pro- I pretty much destroyed everyone. Um, you know, dudes who were going to UVA, dudes who were going to UConn, Mississippi State, just all over the place. So that was a lot of fun. Internet and social media wasn't really a thing back then. I mean, it was a thing, but it wasn't to what it is now. It was like at the Lego stages of. <laughs> of like how of the monster it's become. I walk in and I see you know, Josh Smith is there. He's six nine with a a million inch vertical. Rajon Rondo's in there. What was nice is one of my teammates from Bishop O'Connell was there. Was that was really really cool. Um, he came down and he was like six nine six ten. Kid named Deshaun Wright. You know it was crazy talented. That year went to Spain. Went to Hawaii. Jeez. He went like 44-0, um, destroyed everyone, played against some really good dudes. Like, we played against Kyle Lowry that year. We played against a dude named Sergio Rodriguez out in Spain. We had no clue who he was, but he ended up playing a few years in the um, NBA. We played a lot of good teams, man, and we, and we were blowing them out by like 20, 30 minimum. We beat some teams by like 80 points. Wow. Um, that was a lot of fun. Well, we know it's a basketball factory. Uh, how about the academics and, you know, how about the swag? Is they take care of you just by sending you to places like Hawaii and, you know, that type of thing? Or is there other kinds of perks? Oh, man. You know, Jordan, Jordan used to send us all the shoes that were coming out in, like, two months. Wow. So, like, we would, we would go in and get dressed. Like, it'll be packed, like, packed. Like a gym that seats like five or six thousand, standing room only. When we played OJ Mayo and Billy Walker in Cincinnati, I think it was the US Bank Arena, it seats over like twelve thousand people. It was sold out. Man. And there were tickets being you know, scalped outside for like two hundred dollars. That was that was insane. That was in Sports Illustrated too. Like it was like a whole like section about that game. It sounds like you're a big uh, Nike guy. So how disappointed were you when you went to Michigan and they switched to Adidas right when you were playing? You know what? <laughs> you know, Nike and Jordans are you know cool, but Adidas 
was always always my shoe of choice. I played with a Nike a Nike AAU team, but when it came to like playing like playing and getting up the court, never mm-hmm. having a foot injury, Adidas Pro Models those were yep. my favorite shoe. Those were my favorite shoe of all time. Like if I made the league. I would have my own line of Adidas Pro Models. <laughs> I love those shoes. There's, they were very, very basic, but man, it was the most comfortable shoe ever. Hey, Ant, we've also kicked around. You're talking about some big time swag and shoes, and you know the gear. Uh, and we've kicked around here on Three Point Podcast. Uh, what, what does college sports need to do? Is, is it time to have some kind of pay? Should the athletes be able to get paid for their autographs or signed jerseys? Well, what's your thought on? On college no. athletes. No. <laughs> okay. Lay it out. Not. No. Man, do you... <laughs> no. So Tell us how you really feel, Ant. <laughs> yeah. So so people are you know, they get mad at me when I start talking about this. Even <laughs> my former teammates when I bring it up. I'm just like, look, when we got paid or, you know, we like we already get paid like fifteen hundred dollars a month. Like we already get a stipend. We already get paid. And we get paid for stuff that we already have. Like, we already get free food all the time. We always get free gear. And that's all we wear. Like, all we wear is our Michigan gear, you know? When it comes to paying for your likeness and all that stuff, you're messing around with fire when it comes to that. If it ever comes to that, put it in a trust or something for that person. They can touch it as soon as they leave school, if that's the case. Like, okay, when this person reaches age this or they leave the institution and go somewhere else, professional somewhere, they have not, they now have access to this money. You do not want to open up that can of worms. Dude, I saw people get a Pell Grant because they can qualify for it. I couldn't because my parents made too much. But some of these people who filed under, um, like, one parent or they filed under themselves as their own dependent, they used to get a Pell Grant of like five grand per semester. You always knew when the Pell Grant money came came in because someone got a new chain, <laughs> they got new for their car, they got the new the new gear that just came out, just some crazy stuff. I mean, you don't want to open that can, dude. You do not want to do that, especially nowadays. You want to get okay, okay, and then <laughs> you're gonna have agents. You can get paid now. Can can you get fired and fined? Who's to say? Like, are all salaries going to be the same? Like, if it's between UNC and Michigan, and UNC like, we'll offer you twenty four grand a year. Michigan, okay, we'll offer you twenty two grand a year, but we get a little bit of perks. Who's managing these things? Do they get a cut? You're you're open. I mean, hey, no, don't even do it because it's going to be messy, messy. You're talking about like college life, and something I'm always curious about as a Michigan fan. It seems like football is kind of king on that campus. What's it like as somebody that was a basketball player? Like, if if, a, if the football players come into a party and the basketball players come <laughs> into a party, who who's like the alpha alpha males there? Basketball. Oh, okay. Basketball, hundred percent. Football dudes are like five nine. <laughs> hey, <laughs> <laughs> they're like five nine, five ten. I'm six six. <laughs> who who I'm with is six eleven. Who stands out? Yep. Those are my parts. <laughs> That's true. I did. I never thought about that. <laughs> and who's always padded up with a big helmet on their head the whole time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Our eighth man. Uh, I even touch it. Ninth or tenth man <laughs> on the basketball team is probably more 
you probably recognize him between a couple starters on the football team. Was there any animosity between like the football and basketball team, or are you guys good friends? All depends. Okay. I've got stories. <laughs> I've got stories. My favorite thing that you ever tweeted was uh, you had like a whole thread about how 80s basketball was trash. You know, you got pictures of Larry Bird with his high shorts and Bob Cousy <laughs> and just guys like that. I agree with you 100%. So I guess my question for you is, if you played in the 1980s, how good do you think you are? Are you the best player in the league? I'd be top 10 all time. <laughs> I agree. I love it. I'd be top 10 all time. Not even joking. Not even joking. Do you see these dudes? <laughs> you will wa- no, like, watch a full game, not the, not the highlights. They have full games on YouTube. Watch a full game. <laughs> You've been bamboozled. <laughs> you don't think that Danny Angel put the clamps on you? Danny <laughs> What? <laughs> He's an accountant. <laughs> an accountant can't guard me. <laughs> are you kidding me? Ted, what are your thoughts as somebody uh, I, who's – that's his heyday. I know. I'm, I'm just uh, – I, I can't speak. Oh, I'm telling you. R.I.P. <laughs> well, kind, kind of along those lines, I got to ask you, Ant. You're you're a basketball guy. You you know a ton about basketball, obviously, and you played at a higher level than any of the three of us. But so a, a debate that we've had on this podcast, it kind of brings out the generational stuff all, along the lines of what Jared just said. I'm a Kobe guy. Kobe's my most favorite basketball player of all time. That was the era I kind of grew up with, '90s, early two early 2000s. Jared, he's a younger guy. Harden is his guy. He he claims. That James Harden, when his career is done, will be a better basketball player. His career will be looked at better than Kobe Bryant's. You, you, what do you think? Is Kobe Bryant better than James Harden? James Harden better than Kobe? Where do you stand? <laughs> Dude, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Know this. All right. Kobe Bryant is the best basketball player of all time. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> Period. He is the best basketball player of all time. Not saying he's the most dominant. Didn't say that. His footwork and his skill level is unreal. Is unreal. Unbelievably unreal. It is it's better than Mike. Only thing Mike had over Kobe was the size of his hand. The way that Kobe plays, that if you were to ever teach your kid how to play the game of basketball, you would teach them how to play like Kobe Bryant. 100 million percent. And some parts of Steph Curry. Some parts of Steph Curry. Steph Curry, the way that he shoots it is definitely in the 99.99999 percentile. His shot selection isn't the best, but the way that his fundamentals are, are unreal as well, too. And I'll also put KD in that category as well. Mm-hmm. I grew up with KD. It's weird for me to say. Super weird. So, so weird. It's weird <laughs> seeing his gear on random people. <laughs> in farm country is weird to me. But KD as well, too. When it comes to fundamentals, nobody does better than Kobe, KD, and Steph. Nobody. Nobody. If you, wanna, if you want your kid to play like LeBron, I will pray for you and your child. <laughs> well, we know where you stand, and uh, Matt now has an ally for sure. Right. Hey, Ant, uh, you know, uh, we really appreciate you taking time out. We're going to be uh, definitely promoting your Twitter site and your new podcast you got going on. You can't guard me. I know you're having a lot of fun with that. We've had a lot of fun chatting with you here tonight, and maybe we can catch up with you down the road if you can spend the time. I know you got to get to Game of Thrones. Hey, anytime, man. All right. Thanks, Ant. All right, we now welcome on. 
Chris Castellani. Uh, he's on Twitter at Castellani2014. He's he's known for his show, The Brewcast, on amazingbrew.com. But my favorite part about him, and I feel like a lot of kids my age, his favorite part about him are the videos that he does about Michigan sports, the Detroit Tigers, Lions, all of them. And it's on Twitter. Uh, but he's joining us on the show now. So, Chris Castellani, how's it going, my man? It's going great, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on on this, uh, what is what is it, Sunday night. Uh, looking forward to always talking sports, and I appreciate the introduction as well. Yeah, no problem. Uh, so we'll start right here. Something I've always wondered about with your videos, you've done a lot of them, and in most of them, you're you know you're in pain. So I've always wondered what's the game that what's the game that's given you the most heartbreak uh, in your life? Is there one that sticks out to you? Oh uh, yeah, oh yeah. There's one that sticks out, and I think it's only uh, it's very topical considering the week. 2015 trouble at the snap, uh, Michigan State, uh, Michigan. You know, usually it, it might not seem like it, but typically. After a bad loss, whether it be Tigers, whether it be Michigan, or any of the teams I root for, it's very rare that I go to bed angry. Like <laughs> typically, I don't let a game last more than maybe maybe a few hours. Usually, in the case of baseball, because there's so many games, a couple minutes. If it's a playoff game, it's different. That was one where it poisoned my ability to watch football the next day. I did. I didn't watch the NFL on that Sunday. It took me about a year and a half, almost two years, until I even watched the, the replay of that game. That That's one that stands out. I would say a close second would be game two of the ALCS back in 2013, big poppy's grand slam off of uh, Joaquin Benoit. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only reason that that isn't number one is that was only game two, and there was still a series ahead that they still should have won. But that one, the, the trouble with the snap game will always stand out as, as the one that really just kind of broke me. I can I can be honest with you, like hearing Jared tee you up on that question, off the top of my head, if I have to if I had to answer a similar question, I think those two would be it too. The first one, honestly, that comes to my head is that big poppy home run at Fenway Park because we've talked about the Tigers on this podcast a lot, and obviously they're going through a ridiculous rebuild right now. In my opinion, that 2013 team was the team that should have won the World Series. It they didn't make it to the World yeah. Series, it was. but and if the, if they win it all, uh, they would. I think they would probably go down the. They would be looked at in a similar fashion, the way that this year's Nationals are looked at, which is all the way down to having two of the four uh, starters on that on that team. You had, uh, which would be one of the great rotations to ever be put together, uh, and uh, coupled with uh, a ridiculously good lineup. And uh, as much as they tried to give it a go in 2014 with what turned out to be you know four four Cy Young winners on it, it always felt like that 2013 season was the year when things finally come together, uh, would come together. And uh, and that's that's the one that still sings the most, even more so than either of the World Series they lost. You know, you, you talked about the Michigan State uh, miracle against Michigan. And, you know, this is a three-generation show. I go back a little deeper, but that would probably be number one. But a close number two would be the Desmond Howard non-pass interference in the end zone. That was a killer. Yeah, obviously that was a bit before my time, but I do I do my I do my research. I know my history, and uh, <laughs> especially because I want, wasn't Michigan number one coming into that game. I think so. Yeah, so that was uh, I mean ultimately didn't derail the season, but prevented them from getting a national championship at least at that time. And uh, yeah, he got tripped, so I, I completely understand that. Do, do you remember the first time you kind of went viral? Was there a specific video that kind of blew up your Twitter feed? And like, what was that like? You know, there was one. Uh, it's a really good question, and I, I have a good story for it. There was there were a few that kind of got in the hundreds of likes, which at the time when I had like 800 followers, I was like, "Wow, that's really shocking yeah. and really cool and fortunate." But I didn't expect it would go beyond that. 
There was one two years ago uh, against Cleveland uh, when the Tigers played. The next day, my Twitter for about you know a solid 24, 36 hours was like a slot machine. I mean, you click refresh, it, it was 10, 20 likes or 10, 20 notifications. Well, I, I just I went to the movies that day and sat in the back. I, I think there was like two other people in there. And uh, I usually don't like to do this, but the main reason I went was just because I had to keep refreshing my phone, just looking at the notifications from people. And you know, you know, you've hit it viral when you start to get bots responding to you. And so it was like it, it was one of those surreal moments where, uh, yeah, it just felt very strange. It was really cool, and it's to this day one of the coolest things that's happened was experiencing that. Because I always tell people this was when I started all of this. It wasn't the I was just a guy, and I still am really this guy who really likes to talk about sports and was fortunate enough to have an outlet to do it. And that was a kind of a watershed moment where I realized that there's actually like a fair amount of people who would be interested in listening to what I have to say. And that was, uh, that's definitely a, mo- uh, a moment in a time that stands out. Well, it's definitely cool because I mean, that Ted kind of talked about it. We're three generations of guys that are basically the same thing. We're sports fans, movie fans, you know, that kind of stuff that, just like to talk about it so that's essentially what what we like to do on this podcast and you know we've had a couple moments with our not not necessarily your level but on our twitter site and some other stuff where some things that we've tweeted out have kind of blown up like that and it's kind of hard to keep up with stuff so i that's what i'm always curious about with people who have a big following is how do you really keep up with that stuff and like how do you choose you you can't reply to everyone i mean that that just is what it comes down to you can't reply to everyone how do you, like, handle that when you do have some of those things that do go viral? You just kind of refresh and laugh and move on? Oh, well, I mean, that's a really good question. You know, I, I try to read, and I think I, for the most part I do read all of it. Um, you know, the good stuff, the, the bad stuff, and the ugly stuff, because I think uh, it's just cool to see people responding. And I try to get, you know, like as many responses as I can. And I try to respond to as many things as I can, but that's that's difficult. And there there have been days, you know, if there's a day where I'm working where I'll go a few hours without being able to see anything, and it's it's weird, it's hard to find that balance sometimes. But you know, I feel like I I I do the best I can, and I've you know, but after after I post a video, usually not always, there's there's usually kind of a a a grace period where I get the opportunity to just kind of refresh Twitter as much as I can, and. uh, it's it's led to you know a lot of, of of really funny and really interesting responses. I mean, I've laughed pretty hard at, at the things people have responded to, both good and bad, and it's uh, it's really been a blessing. So it's, it's a lot of fun. You mentioned kind of the bad. Like, do when, do people recognize you out in public? Like, how often does that happen? Like, and if if they run into you, do they kind of expect you to, if you're watching a sports game at a bar or something, to be kind of you know screaming and kind of doing like a lot of what yeah. you do in your videos? Is that ever? Uh, no, that, I mean, you're, that's that's funny you bring that up, and and. I guess to answer your question, I, I never thought I would be. Uh, I guess it was my last year when I was at Central. I think it was one of my roommates who was like, people are going to start recognizing you. And I said, that's just a ridiculous notion. I'm, I'm some guy who yells about sports. Even if people did recognize me, I don't think they would want to say anything. And, uh, and it, yeah, it's turned into something, especially in uh, East Lansing, especially where you know, I've grown up in Lansing. It's been... Uh, has been really remarkable kind of meeting some of the people. It's not, you know, I can go out. It's not, you know, it's not like I'm some famous yeah. guy and nor will I ever claim to be. But, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been cool to see people who just, who will approach you and say, hey, are you the guy who makes the videos on Twitter? And uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to respond to those people. And it, it's fun because it gives me an opportunity to show more of the, the rational, true person that I am. Because nobody in the world... <laughs> could sustain the level of rage that I've showed in 20-second videos before. You know, there's, you have to have that balance. 
And uh, it, it's been – I love the opportunity to sit uh, at, or, you know, hang around with people and just, just talk sports in a, in a rational manner. And, and I hope they come away from it being like, wow, this guy, like he makes these videos on Twitter and he can be a bit nuts, but he's actually fairly laid back. Because just having anyone know who you are for, for this is, is really cool. And there was, there was even a brief time where I struggled with, am I, you know, I going to be the rant guy? And it, you come to you come to terms with it's like, man, there's so many worse things to be known for, and if that's what you know, what people recognize me for, so be it. That's great, you know. As long as uh, as long as it's entertaining people, because that's really what sports and talking about sports should be, then I'm happy with it. And so it's been it's been awesome. I have a general question about business. You know, everybody knows about uh, what the Kardashians are doing on social media, making you know millions of dollars. I mean, have you been able to monop- you know make some money on this at all? Uh, it's something I'm working on right as of now. No, um, with the exception of the you know the occasional thing I tried streaming on Twitch and you know made a few bucks there. But you know monetizing has been something that I've 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 looked into and I'm going to continue to look into. I have like no experience with business and so I'm I'm trying with it. You don't want to jump ahead too far uh, with that because you know it. I never want to. It's kind of almost a way I think sometimes people inflate their ego by saying oh I'm making X amount of dollars off this, but it is something that, with the amount of content I put out, I would—it's absolutely what I would love to do, and it's something I'm, I'm trying to do. But uh, we're we're in the early stages of that. I would absolutely love to uh, have this be something that I, uh, I I'm able to do full time. Yeah, you know, I've been in business for a long time, but Matt and Jared can vouch for this. I'm I'm a boomer. I don't know about this Twitter world. A little bit I play into it, but it just seems like if you continue to do viral stuff and continue to grow your followers, then that's going to open up advertisers or people that want to be on board. Isn't that how it works? Uh, yeah, I think so. Uh, like I said, this is all this is really new to me. And like I said at the beginning, this was there was never any intent originally for this to be a full-time thing. I was just some guy who wanted to make videos, and it's, it's turned into more, and I'm, I'm so happy it's turned into more. Uh, but you know, the, ultimately, the one thing that, even in my limited experience, the one thing I know is that the worst thing you can do is to cease putting out content. And I think, you know, me putting out videos, whether it be for Michigan or the Tigers or even the occasional Michigan State or the Lions, like the more stuff I put out, uh, the more eyeballs are going to want to, you know, are going to hopefully, you know, come to my page. And that's, that's the end goal, at least right now. But besides the fact, you know, just trying to entertain people. You know, I think part of that is, Nowadays that, you know, anyone can have a Twitter account, anyone can have a podcast, you know, whatever. The market is kind of flooded with so much content to the point where I've heard people even say, like, there's so many podcasts, there's so many Twitter followers, Instagram pages. How do I know what's good? So it's like if you're going to try and do this stuff, you have to do something that's going to make you stand out, be unique, be different. And I think it's cool because I think what you're doing is unique and different. So, I mean, to me, I feel like, you know, what you're doing, if you keep at it, you know, I, I think it's going to keep growing. I think it's cool you came on this podcast, and we did bring you on to talk a little football. We're not all just talking about business, <laughs> right? And, no, it's all, it's all good, yeah. In social media and everything, so I, I got to ask: we're it's Michigan Michigan State week, it's rivalry week, it's hate week, it's all that stuff. So we've already talked about that Michigan State collapse at Spartan Stadium last weekend. But kind of where where do you stand? Do you think I don't know what the line is, Jared? You could tell us what the updated 12. line is right now. I think in the it's game, 12. But do you think Michigan State? stands a chance. I think it's always a game where Michigan State stands a chance against Michigan, right? Right. They No, they absolutely do. And look, I've <laughs> this is not the best rivalry in sports by any means, or even college football, but I find it to be the most fascinating because the team that often shows up for this game is not always 
representative of the team you're going to see all season. I remember three years ago there was a Michigan State team that, I mean, could barely get a first down that ended up losing to Michigan by nine. It would have been six. Antonio decided to go for two. Jabril Peppers returned it for two points. But weird things have happened in this game. Some of the weirdest things have happened in this game, like 2015. Mm-hmm. They stand a chance, and part of it, I feel like, is that MSU, uh, Shea Patterson, as much as I've defended him, probably more than anyone else has, I think this is probably one of the weaker quarterbacks Michigan State is going to face this season, uh, especially of recent weeks. And, uh, well, I think ultimately Michigan's athletes are going to be too much. I I fully expect this game to drive me crazy. I expect it to be closer than people think. And Michigan State's season, you know, from a goal standpoint, is essentially over and kind of has been for weeks. And the program right now is in a, is in a place that it's kind of, these are unforeseen circumstances, at least in the D'Antonio era. And they have the potential not to necessarily save their season, but to salvage it with a win in Ann Arbor. Michigan's goals are, Michigan is a team with, that does not control their own fate. And unfortunately, even if something miraculous happens like they win out, they will come up short of their goals. This is a team that was the odds-on favorite to win the Big Ten. They're not going to do that. And so this is going to be this is going to be a weird game. Michigan, uh, I, I don't expect a ton of scoring, even without uh, somebody like Joe Bocci from Michigan State. I still think that that is a defense that has prepared for this game for several weeks, uh, maybe even overlooked some previous opponents because of this game. Michigan's coming off a bye week, which I think is good and bad. It's good for injuries, but uh, they came off of a bye week against Wisconsin and got absolutely smothered. So it's going to be uh, another really intriguing game. It should be. I'll say this. It should be a two-three touchdown Michigan win. I, I think from what I've seen from Michigan State, this is a drastically inferior football team. But with the exception of maybe 2013 through 2015, it kind of usually is. And we've seen Michigan State win these games very often under, in the D'Antonio era. But there is, admittedly, this season, even different than 2016 when they were 3-9, and nine, there's something about this year and this team that just feels a little bit different. Do you think, like, so let me put a scenario out there. Let's say that D'Antonio comes into the Michigan State locker room before the game and tells the team that he's retiring after at the end of this at the end of the season. How do you think that would change the game? And do you think that it's best for the Michigan State program if he does retire after this season? Well, I'll, I'll start with the first question. I mean, it would, it would add, uh, you know, it would be an added boost of motivation for sure. Um, D'Antonio has been a coach who, of, of all the things he's accomplished, probably one of the top things he'll be remembered for as a, a Michigan killer. I, I mean, a guy who t- took over a rivalry that Michigan had dominated and completely turned it on its head. And there would be a absolute added mo- level of added motivation knowing that they have the opportunity to uh, send D'Antonio out, you know, fittingly for that uh, era with a win against Michigan. Uh, as far as his should he retire, look, I, it's – as an outsider who's not a state fan, it's hard for me to get I, – I can just say that, look, the team's taking a lot of steps backwards. And, uh, unfortunately, loyalty has been his undoing. The decision to essentially bring back everybody uh, from the offensive staff, as far as the coaches are concerned, uh, has led to a, a borderline unwatchable offense at points. There are things that need to change. I, I Should he retire? It depends on how much he cares about his legacy. Um, I, I think every – football coach or every coach in general cares about how they're going to be perceived. If D'Antonio retired tomorrow, I still think the perception would be and should be that he's the greatest coach they've had in the modern era and took them to a place that no one in, in at Michigan State and no one in the Big Ten 
thought they could get to. They had a period of sustained success from 2010 to 2015 that every Big Ten team, with the exception of maybe Ohio State, would want to experience. And they've and there, I think there were a lot of people that believed that that success would be sustainable. I didn't. I felt like at some point they would fall off, and they have. Now things are admittedly worse than I thought that they would be. Um, the the offense is is tough to watch, and they they're losing games in ways that they haven't lost games since the John L. era. Should he retire? I mean, I, I I think he's earned the right for that to be up to him. Will he? It's looking more and more like that because it just seems like they're they're kind of a flat line every time they come out to play. We we've both grown up in the Lansing area, so here's something that we actually debate a lot on this podcast. We're both kind of around the same age where the D'Antonio era has pretty much dominated Michigan, you know, for basically our whole lives or as long as we can remember. Who do you view as a bigger rival to Michigan? Well, growing up and even until fairly recently, I always viewed it as Michigan State because for the longest time, Ohio State was seemed unbeatable. And trust me, especially this year, they still do. Now, with that said, the last couple seasons, as much as Michigan's underperformed in that game, they've been in position or, or at least had the potential to win that game and go to the Big Ten Championship. I think the Michigan State rivalry uh, enhanced uh, significantly when D'Antonio got there because they started winning. Growing up, I always viewed that as the game, and in some ways I still do, but I think that will change as these programs change. Um, And as Michigan State, if they continue to sputter and this becomes a game that is much more winnable, I think that perception may change. But, yeah, for the longest time, this was the one I always circled. This was was the one I always – I always both look forward to and, and dreaded. There's a much more personal element to it uh, growing up here than there ever was with Ohio State. So, and I think, I think more people will acknowledge that as well. I think over the last 10 years or so, this has gone from just an, not just another rivalry game to really one of the more intense rivalries in, in the sport. Uh, and in and, and that aspect, I'm, I'm happy to see it. I wish Michigan could have won a few more. But uh, there was a minute there where these were two very, very good programs. Ted grew up in the Woody and Bo days, so he. Whenever we talk about Michigan's football rival, I mean, he he's always straight to Ohio State. Hands I kind of grew up in the middle. I, I'm definitely still. I lean towards Ohio State being the most hated rival, but I can definitely see what you guys are saying. Growing up in the last whatever 20 years, if you want to say, because Ohio State's basically dominated Michigan the last 20 years, so that exactly. Michigan State rivalry is it's as evenly matched, I guess, if if you want to say it that way, as a rivalry goes. But so the Ohio State thing, talking about Jim Harbaugh and Michigan football, that's basically the last hurdle he has to get over. I mean, he has a a couple dumb losses against Michigan State and some other bad losses on there. But other than Ohio State, he's really been fine. So we've talked about Harbaugh, and I think we're all still on the Harbaugh. We don't think he should go. We're not on the fire Harbaugh train or anything like that. Kind of where do you stand on Harbaugh? Do you think – he just has to get all over Ohio State, or you think he still needs to win the Big Ten, get to the college football playoff, and then maybe some more? If he wants to exercise all the demons and the stigma that is unfortunately attached to Michigan football right now, which there, there is a stigma there, and it's a weird stigma that surrounded, maybe not as, as rich of an extent uh, or as rich of a tradition of failure, but it's a stigma that surrounded teams like going to baseball now, like the Cubs for a minute where they would all, or not for a minute, for, for 100 years. But there is still a belief, when you look at the Michigan program, as stable as they've been under Harbaugh, that uh, there is a I'll-believe-it-when-I-see-it type of mentality. 
They have been given opportunity after opportunity to get to get big wins, to beat Ohio State, and they've consistently come up short. And if you want to end that the the punchline to a certain extent that that Michigan football has become just in big games, not as a program because they've been remarkably stable since he's gotten there. They're still going to win eight to ten games a year, but to get all that out of the way, you got to beat Ohio State. You have to win the Big Ten, and you have to make the playoffs. Now, winning the Big Ten, beating Ohio State would be would be fine. But to me, to officially get it off your back, you got to make the playoffs, which is something that Ohio State has done multiple times. It's something that uh, while Penn State wasn't able to do it, they do have a Big Ten title. It's something that Michigan State has done. If Michigan wants to get back to the point that they want to get back to, and and that they believe they should get back to, which is an elite program, you got to get to the college football playoffs. Washington's done it. Now, a lot of teams that probably have weaker programs or should have weaker programs than Michigan have made the playoff, and Michigan's consistently come up short. Uh, I, yeah, once again, I think as more in a kind of a weird twist of fate over these last couple of weeks, people have grown more and more comfortable with Harbaugh here, but are fully acknowledging what has been just from a pass failed system, a, a failure of a tenure thus far because of their inability to reach the goals that they've set for themselves. You know, you, you laid out the scenario about the playoffs, but it, it kind of just it falls right into place. If Michigan can win the Big Ten, can if they can beat Ohio State, well, they're going to get playoff appearances, right? Right, yeah. I mean, it's that simple. So you're right, it's especially that the, the year, and that's mainly been the case with the exception of a few things, kind of quirky things uh, that have happened in the Big Ten. Uh, I know, like, two years ago, Ohio State won the Big Ten, didn't make it. Now that's because they got blown out against Iowa. You know, right. I don't see something like that happening to Michigan necessarily. So yeah, you're right. I mean, it's almost one in the same, but you you can't do something dumb like you know trip up two or three times and still win the Big Ten. You got to get back to the playoff, and I think they know that. Yep. Yeah, and that's what we've said before that you know they they need to get over. They need to figure out how to beat Ohio State, which usually if you beat Ohio State two of the four years that Harbaugh's been there, they beat Ohio State. They're in the Big Ten championship game and likely in the college football playoffs. So a lot of those those check marks that Harbaugh needs to check off, it all starts with beating Ohio State. And, I mean, you, you said it, since he's been there and however long he stays there, it sure looks like he will always at least be an 8- or 10-win program. Hopefully he has those years where they, where they figure some stuff out and win, you know, 12, 13 games maybe. Right. But I, I've said before, like, and I, I'm I'm victim of it. I I had unrealistic expectations maybe when Harbaugh came in. Traditionally, that's what Michigan football has been, right? An eight or ten win program. Sprinkle in those couple years every eight, ten, twelve years where they actually make a run towards the national championship. Is that kind of where Michigan football? I'm not saying you should be like happy with that, but right. Michigan fans kind of temper their expectations and be happy that Harbaugh has them around that eight to ten win mark every year. Yes and no. I think that. There was a time there where Michigan football fell into a place that no program wants to be, and that was irrelevant. I mean, guys, five years ago, they lost to Maryland and Rutgers in the same season. I mean, that is unforeseen and, and pathetic. Now, Harbaugh's been there. They weigh well about their ability to win big games because they haven't been able to win a whole lot of them. They are relevant again. Har- Jim Harbaugh, in and of himself, is a brain and has brought eyes back to the Michigan football program. Now, as far as the expectations... Look, should they come into every season with the belief that they're going to win the Big Ten? No. And nor should really most programs outside of three or four in the country. One of them, unfortunately, just happens to be Michigan's rival from Ohio State. 
but um, I, I do I understand frustration as as seasons go on. You know, last year's team was not favored to win the Big Ten, lost their first game, played ten weeks of almost flawless football. I mean, they were great for ten weeks, and I still believe if they play their best football game uh, on that November afternoon against Ohio State, they probably win. They laid the biggest egg imaginable, and they got punked. And they're, it's something that that program's going to have to live with. Karma, man. It's karma. 50 years ago, 1969, Bo Schembechler, Woody Hayes. It's going to happen again. You'd love to see it, right? <laughs> Absolutely. You, that, would, that would be the dream. And as much as I've repeatedly stated that I believe this season will go down as a failure, because they were ultimately, the fans might, have, might always have uh, high expectations. But, dude, it's like that with every program. Every football fan comes into every season with the belief of, hey, maybe, maybe if we get by this, we catch this break, maybe we can win the Big Ten, maybe we can make the playoffs. But it wasn't just the fan base that had high expectations for Michigan this year. They were the outside favorite to win the conference. Ahead of Ohio State, ahead of Penn State, ahead of Wisconsin, ahead of everybody. Uh, and they've fallen, up, fallen short. Now, if they beat Ohio State, especially this year where, and I hate the fact that I have to say this, this is the best Ohio State team I've ever seen. I agree. They're winning by an average of 51-9 to nine right now. They are pummeling teams. If Michigan was somehow able to win that game, even if Ohio State goes on to make the playoff, which they will, even if they go on to win the Big Ten, which they will, I will consider viewing this season as a minor success because just a few weeks ago, the idea of that happening, of Michigan beating Ohio State, seemed like an impossibility and still kind of does. But if they're able to pull something out there, I would, I would, be, I would consider viewing this as a success. Uh, speaking of success, um, the Lions have been basically the opposite of that for <laughs> all of our lifetimes. But Matt Patricia, uh, where do you stand on him? Do you think, could we win a Super Bowl with this guy, or should we maybe just cut bait uh, before he wastes two, three more years of Matt Stafford's prime? I'd give him one more year, and then uh, my guess is he'll probably he'll probably leave. I, I, I did Honestly, I didn't particularly like the hire when it happened. You look at almost every Belichick assistant, uh, none of them have been particularly successful. Probably the most successful has been Bill O'Brien. Uh, I'm sure I'm probably, I might be leaving one out, but probably the most successful has been Bill O'Brien. And I have a lot of uh, Houston people on my Twitter feed, and uh, they can't stand him, and they feel like he's wasting Deshaun Watson. Uh, and, you know, he was the guy that people were saying was a defensive mastermind, but that's age. That take has aged horribly. For one, they let a backup QB torch them in his final game in New England. Nick Foles just murdered him. And uh, New England has gone on the next two years to be a rem- vastly better defense, and this year are putting up just unbelievable numbers defensively. Lost last week against Lamar Jackson, but uh, no one seems to be able to be stopping him this season. I don't see elite head coach in Matt Patricia, and I, I think he's a guy who can get them to the playoffs, potentially, but I, I wasn't super impressed with the hire when it happened, and I haven't been particularly impressed with him in his tenure so far. Uh, he hasn't been terrible. But in the, in the NFL, which is, you know, guys can't get fired in the NFL to drop the hat. And it, it, especially with a fan base as, you know, as set up as Detroit is, rightfully so, you have one playoff win. Or, yeah, I'm sorry, you have zero playoff wins since 1991. There's gonna, the guys are going to be on a short leash, and they should. I, I don't think it's impossible that he turns this thing around. But from what I've seen so far, I have, I have a hard time believing it. It's, but especially with the way, like you said, that Stafford has played this year. You don't want to waste the prime of a guy who is, admittedly, uh, the most talented quarterback that this franchise has probably ever seen. Without a doubt. You know, moving off topic just a little bit, Chris, I mean, you're 
you're coming across really good. I mean, this is very oh, enjoyable. This is very enjoyable. Tell us, tell us, and our listeners uh, about the Brewcast. Yeah, well, this is uh, this is uh, something that uh, I was fortunate enough to come across. I think it was a fan on Twitter sent this to me uh, a couple years ago that that Mason Brew was hiring uh, Anthony Broom and Luke, Luke Yardy, who are you know really talented uh, journalists and broadcasters. Needed someone to kind of fill that third spot, and uh, I applied and was lucky enough to get it. You know, we are um, we are very much a Michigan sports podcast, and with it being that time of year, we're very much a Michigan football podcast right now. But uh, it's I think it's a prime example of why podcasts are thriving because you get takes from three guys who are uh, fans, but also very objective. And uh, you know, we don't always agree, and that makes for for some you know good li- for a good listening experience for sure. But uh, it, and it's three guys who are completely different. Anthony is is the biggest journalist of the three of us. Uh, Luke is the best broadcaster between the three of us, and I'm uh, I'm the outsider who's the fan who's you know get, not going to hold anything back. And I think that's led to uh, some really good episodes. And I recommend people go go listen to that. We're on Apple Podcasts. I believe we're on SoundCloud. It's really a lot of fun. It's been something I've been doing for close to two years now, and uh, I really enjoy it. Boy, does that sound scary. It's like deja vu with what we have going on in about two <laughs> years is, exactly. I that as I was saying. I'm like, am I describing my podcast or yours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's all good. Yeah, so we do we do a big prep picks game preview. We've done two now, and we, we cover the whole state of Michigan before high school football starts. And we have people from around the state preview their area. And we had Luke on to preview the UP and, and northern Michigan. So, so, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, tell him we said hello. Absolutely. <laughs> I got just one. I got I to gotta get one more question out there. Uh, we, we've been talking about it a lot. The Detroit Tigers 2014 uh, bullpen is pretty much every single one of them have won a title. How does that make you feel watching this Tigers team that's basically tanking, but yet all these players that we kind of grow to love are now winning World Series for other teams? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like watching the, the really hot chick who broke up with you get married to a douchebag. Like, I mean, it's <laughs> not exactly the most fun thing to see. But at the same time, you know, I, I am very happy for all those guys. You know, I, Verlander especially because he was our guy from the beginning. But um, it sucks for sure, especially it, it, it wouldn't suck as bad if you felt like the Tigers were close. And even if you're somebody who – believes in this rebuild 100% and believes in what Avila's doing, uh, you're out of your mind if you can't acknowledge that they're at least, you know, and I'm being generous here, it's three to four years away from you know, contending for the playoffs. Um, and ultimately, it's not a surprise, though, uh, that all five of them have won. The only big surprise is Anibal Sanchez. Because Verlander, you, you, when he got traded to Houston, he got put in a perfect spot. Houston's very good. One championship there. Scherzer was the man when he was in Detroit. He's actually gotten substantially better in Washington. They were going to contend. Price in Boston knew they were going to contend. Same with Porcello. And all for, for the most part, all those guys were in that prime. Verlander kind of found another gear when he got to Houston. But the, the biggest surprise, the most shocking one, was, was Sanchez because his last few years in Detroit, he was a pitcher who was done. I mean, he had nothing left. And it wasn't just Detroit who felt that way. People forget the Twins signed him after the 2017 uh, season and cut him in spring training. No, this is a guy nobody wanted. He goes to Atlanta, somehow finds something. A year later, he's taking a, a, a no-hitter into uh, into the eighth inning in, in, the, uh, in the NLCS. Ultimately, he's a world champion. It, it's extremely bittersweet. Um, it's even more bittersweet knowing that they should—they all should have won at least one here. I mean, 
and it was an all-time great rotation that they had, uh, and they fell apart for there were several reasons. Obviously, the bullpen's a big reason for that. Management, uh, really both Leland and Austin, I don't think did them a whole lot of favors. But uh, it's it, it's bittersweet to watch. But I am I am admittedly very happy for those guys who handled themselves with class in Detroit, and they've they've done the same elsewhere. Amen. Well, Chris. We appreciate the time, man. This has just flown by. Before we let you go again, uh, tell our listeners where they can find you, not only your podcast, but uh, also on social media. Well, you can find the uh, Brewcast on uh, Twitter. That's at Brewcast Show or at uh, Amazing Brew. You can, they'll, they'll post links on both those accounts. Uh, if you want to see me personally on Twitter, that's at Castellani2014. That's at C-A-S-T-E-L-L-A-N-I-2-0. One four there, you'll find the link to my YouTube page where I post the occasional movie review and talk about you know random stuff that that comes to my head. Uh, my Snapchat is the same as my uh, as my Twitter handle, and if you want to see my Instagram as well, that's Chris Castle ninety five. That's C H R I S C A S T L E nine five. But please go ahead and uh, follow me on all those platforms. Sounds outstanding. You know we have a little segment called Tedertainment tonight. We'll have to get you on again sometime. Get some of your movie reviews. How's that sound? I, Absolutely, guys. I'd love to do it. All right, Chris. Appreciate the time, man. TheCoronaConnection.com knows it's great to be gold. Keep up to date on Cavalier Nation at CoronaConnection.com. Nelson House Funeral Homes' number one goal is to serve the families in our community. The top priority is caring for our friends and neighbors and being right there when you need them the most. Since 1880 and continuing the tradition today with chapels in Owasso, Chesanine, and New Lothrop, I can personally tell you they're the best in the business. For more details, see them on the web at nelson-house.com. Advanced Elevator Company feature top expert field technicians for installation, troubleshooting, and repairs of elevators. An area business leader and a long time, huge supporter of the Corona Public Schools and Three Point Podcast. Rivals Tap House and Grill is the official sports bar of Three Point Podcast. They're open for dine-in service again. That is great news. They also have a full menu and specialize in pub sandwiches. Adhering to the latest COVID-19 standards with three sanitizing stations, a QR code for menus, and disposable ones. Thursday bike nights are back as well. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill in Corona. Go online at SheridanAuctionService.com for info on their upcoming auctions. The auction house is packed with all kinds of great items. Stay up to date by checking their website at SheridanAuctionService.com. Sign up for their email notifications. And congratulations to Troy Crow, who's been voted the area's best auctioneer by Argus Press voters. Well, like I said, guys, next up we have a special guest, Connor Muldowney of Spartan Avenue and at Saturday Blitz. Uh, he is one of our Michigan State experts. We'll call you that tonight anyway, Connor. Well, welcome <laughs> to the podcast. It. We want to we get your viewpoint right now. We talked a little bit about it before we got you on, but Michigan State uh, has been playing pretty good basketball recently. Uh, it's that time of year again. I mean, you hear it every year, but you kind of don't want to bring up that March and, you know, is out yep. talk, but... It seems to be at the same time as last year and the year before where they're just playing their best basketball at the right time. So we, we've talked about it a few times throughout this season, especially maybe during those little stretches that Michigan State was struggling a little bit, that we were really seeing that team missing a guy like Matt McQuaid, Kenny Goins, and some of those really good role players that really helped them make that Final Four run 
last year. So obviously you got Winston and Tillman. Those guys, you know what you can count on. Who are the guys that you think are really stepping up right now that are going to help them maybe make a little run in March? I think the obvious one has got to be Rocket Watts. If you watch him play, he doesn't look like a freshman anymore. In the beginning of the season, he kind of looked a little bit, uh, I wouldn't say lacking confidence, but I mm-hmm. would say he just he, he made some silly mistakes that he's not making anymore. He's got more confidence in his shot. You see him driving to the hoop, making little runners. He's not afraid to take the big shot at the big time, and it's happened a couple times in the last few weeks, which has been huge for State. His offense has taken a lot of pressure off of Winston. He can run the point. I think he's one of the main reasons for this turnaround, but then you also have Aaron Henry stepping up, and he's been much more consistent over the past four or five games. And then you see a guy that not many people are talking about coming off the bench, like a Kyle Arndt, who's he comes in, you don't hear much about him, nobody really thinks to cover him that well, and he, he drains a, a couple big three-pointers that maintains momentum like he did at Maryland. So there, there's been a lot of debate uh, amongst people who are who are big-time Michigan State fans and people who, who maybe aren't as big fans about Izzo's kind of personality and quote-unquote like like antics on the sidelines during game. Like, What do you think about like when he gets into a player's face and like really yells at him? Are you okay with that? When he gets into the players' faces, I think that he recruits the types of guys who can handle that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the the big moment last year, obviously, was the Aaron Henry sideline fiasco. Where being a fan and watching Izzo for twenty years, I've seen stuff like that happen. Like even going two games, it's stuff that happens like that, like blow ups on the sideline that cameras won't catch because they're not looking for it. Mm-hmm. So the camera happened to be on him during one of these and. People who weren't used to seeing it, just it, it kind of got blown out of proportion. I'm okay with it as long as obviously Izzo would never hurt a player. And people yeah. are like, oh well, he had to be restrained. He wasn't going to put his hands on Aaron Henry. Mm-hmm. It's it's not the best look, but it's also it's his coaching style, and that's what I mean. Michigan State fans have grown to they've become used to that kind of thing. And you, you saw many players, like former players, not even Michigan State players, defending Izzo, saying that they wish that they got coached like that. So, no, it's it's more so him getting in the ref's ear all game that mm-hmm. I'm kind of sick of. I cringe at something. Yeah. And, and that's another thing, that the cameras just, they focus on him a lot. And it's because it gets the viewers and it gets talked about and people tune in. Well, I'll tell you what, he has earned the respect, I guess, from the referees because I, I can tell you, just watching him, especially recently, he's really intense with the refs, and th- but they give him a break, I think, just because of his longevity and you know th- his personality. And he's one of these guys that will chew a ref's ass, but then he's he talks nice to him. You know, he, he knows how to play the game. I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, you can tell that he's developed relationships with these guys. Like that. they're not just you know a new guy coming in refing and he's getting in their ear. Like if that was the case, they would probably tee him up right away. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's earned the respect and. He knows, I'm sure they tell him, you keep going like this and I'm going to tee you up. So they probably tell him to shut up a couple times, but yeah, that's not something that you see with, you know, like the younger guys, like, I don't know, an Archie Miller or someone. He, he, he got tossed, I know, his brother got tossed the other night, but he's kind of the same way where, you know, if he gets fired up like that in the rough face, he's going to get a tee real quick. Yep. We'll take a look right now as we head down the stretch, the last week of the regular season and then the Big Ten tournament coming up and obviously the big dance after that. How you feeling uh, where these Spartans are right at the moment and, and what do you expect? If you asked me that question two weeks ago, <laughs> I would have told you that they were a first-round exit team. 
I would have said they would have been in the middle of the pack in the Big Ten, maybe not even probably getting the single bye, mm-hmm. not even flirting with the double bye in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just because they've looked like a completely different team, they have the look of that maybe not quite as good as the preseason number one team, but they look like a Final Four caliber team. Not saying that they're going to make it, but they look much more polished. The game against Maryland kind of solidified that. As for Big Ten tournament, I think that they expect every year to at least make a run at the, the championship game, and I don't see why that would be an issue, but I think the Big Ten is just loaded this year. Right. So getting that double buy is huge because, you know, it might be a, a one one and done type of deal for a lot of the big dogs in the Big Ten tournament. So you mentioned how the Big Ten is kind of loaded. Who who do you think is like maybe behind Michigan State? I would say they're probably the front runner to make a, a run to the Final Four. Behind them, who do, is it? Ohio State, Maryland, like Michigan. Who do you think is the number two team? Number two. Oh man. Well, I'm not sold at State as one. I would say Maryland's still probably in that top spot. Just slightly. There's a good five or six teams from the Big Ten that I could see making a run. I could see Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, Iowa is scary. Penn State can turn it on on the, on the flip of uh, the switch. Illinois is scary. I'm not 100% sold on Ohio State or Wisconsin, but I think that they I mean, they both have been playing out of their minds lately. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a good five or six teams that could make a Final Four run. We were talking earlier uh, about this topic right here, about the Big Ten. And what do you think about, I guess, the Big Ten style of play? Do you think it's something that we were talking about how the conference, they're just kind of beating up on each other. Maryland has kind of separated themselves, and then even Michigan State with this late late push. Do you think the conference actually is is as good nationally as some people think, or especially Big Ten fans think? Or do you think it's just really uh, an average or above average, a pretty good conference with a lot of teams that are just kind of losing in the second round or Sweet 16 teams? There aren't any dominant Big Ten teams this year as opposed to, you know, the past four or five years. But this is probably as deep as I can remember it being. Uh, I mean, I've followed college basketball mm-hmm. since I can remember, so I, I don't remember it being quite this deep. And I think it doesn't get the respect it deserves just because everybody's always been on the ACC train. And even though ACC is having a down year, it's like, okay, well, maybe the Big 12 is better than the Big Ten. So I think people just look for reasons to not say that the Big Ten is the best conference for some reason or another. And I don't think that's fair because up until like last week, I think 12 teams were projected to get a tournament bid or some ridiculous number. <clears throat> not not every conference has that kind of depth. And it's there's only two teams that are almost sure wins. And that, that also is super rare in college basketball. Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about it when we were talking about college basketball, and I think it was Jared was saying that, kind of like what you're talking about, I don't know if people try not to sell the Big Ten too high because what is it, every year it seems like it's it's Purdue or maybe it is Michigan mm-hmm. State or maybe it's Michigan's year or maybe this year it's supposed to be Maryland's. And, it, it, I mean, what, Jared's talked about it a lot. Michigan State's the last Big Ten team to win a national title, and that was 20 years ago. So, like, Michigan State's got Cassius Winston. You know, he's he's the guy that can carry a team to the Final Four. But like, do you really trust a Maryland or an Illinois? I mean, even Michigan with the way they're kind of struggling right now. Rutgers or I mean, like Penn State. Uh, you know, like when you start throwing yeah. around these teams, do you really trust any of these teams outside of maybe Michigan State to make a run? It's tough because I, I agree with what you're saying because you fill out the brackets every year, and last year Purdue was like that. That pick that everybody kind of had as a sleeper to make the Final Four, and they, they made a deep run. But you just kind of had in the back of your mind that you knew that they weren't going to be able to 
close out the deal. And I don't know if that's just years of the same thing happening over and over and fans getting used to seeing Michigan State in the Final Four or Michigan in a championship game. Or, you know, you don't see Wisconsin or you never see Penn State or Iowa. Those teams just have been recently, historically, not great in the tournament. So, yeah, that's probably turned a lot of people off to the Big Ten. It's kind of what happened with college football is, you know, Big Ten hadn't won a championship in so long and people just kind of overlooked them. Mm-hmm. So that definitely plays a role into why the Big Ten doesn't get as much credit as it deserves. So the the last two national champions have won the Battle for Atlantis basketball tournament, and that's what Michigan won. So, But they're, they're looking horrible right now. Uh, so what do you think their biggest problem is, and is it possible? Could they turn it on uh, within the, over the next couple of weeks? Absolutely. Um, their biggest problem, it's tough to pinpoint one thing because I try to do the same thing with State when they're looking shaky. Mm-hmm. They, they're not playing the same basketball that got them into the hot stretch. The, the past two games, obviously they had Eli Brooks out for a game um, that hurt them defensively, but Isaiah Livers just hasn't looked – I don't want to say healthy because I don't know if he is or isn't. But he, he probably isn't. But he just he hasn't attacked or looked for his own shot as much. Mm-hmm. And I think that Michigan needs that because they've been relying way too heavily on Simpson to, to get to the lane and score buckets. And that's not really his game. He's trying to he's trying to create for other guys, and that's he's become more of the scorer. And I don't think and I think that actually wears on him defensively a little bit because he's too busy worrying about you know how many points mm-hmm. he's going to put up on offense to keep his team in the game. I, I just think that the the balance scoring, that and, and John Teske has been a ghost. Um, I yeah. know you guys probably know all about that. Oh, yeah. Austin Davis has looked like he sucked all the, the talent out of John Teske's <laughs> face jam style. It's actually kind of crazy to watch. But having Teske play like he should be playing is also another thing. And they were, I mean, Michigan was playing good even when Teske was struggling, so that's not the main problem. There's just a lot of little things that they can correct, and I think that they definitely can make a run in March because they're basically, you know, they have the same pieces that they've had under Beeline that, you know, that made them so successful. Connor, we have a few more questions for you. Before we get to that, though, uh, tell us a little bit about Spartan Avenue and uh, Saturday Blitz. Yeah, sure. Uh, Spartan Avenue is it's a site on fansided.com. It's It's like a branch of it and it focuses on Michigan State, mostly football and basketball, but if I ever have contributors that want to write about, you know, baseball, soccer, any of that stuff, hockey, we definitely welcome that. But we try to give the the best opinion. Sometimes they're not right. A lot of the times they're not right, but we do our best. And uh, Saturday Blitz is, is the same, through the same company, fan-sided, and it covers all of college football. So if you're looking for college football news, opinions, anything, we got you covered over there. Sounds really good. So you you mentioned uh, you get into some football. Uh, thoughts on the new hire and the whole D'Antonio deal when he left? The D'Antonio news was, was shocking. Um, I remember getting a text from one of my friends, and I was like, eh, I don't think that's real. <laughs> and two hours later it became official, and he tweeted out. Honestly, you kind of saw it coming. D'Antonio looked a little worn at that point. At the, at the end of the season, you could just kind of tell he was – he wasn't really in the right mindset anymore, and, and fans were kind of turning on him a little bit, whether it's fair or unfair. The program wasn't headed in the right direction. So the timing that he did it was not great, but I think with that timing, hiring Mel Tucker it was a home run. 
and I don't I know he has only one year under his belt, but I think that's such a big hire for the bad timing that it was. And then he's just every I can't complain about any of his his staff hires either. I think he's done a great job, but obviously it's kind of a wait and see game until he actually proves it on the field. Yeah. Well the Courtney Hawkins hire, I think it's a good hire, but Jared has pointed out before he beat Courtney Hawkins in football twice, right, Jared? Yeah, if you saw me, you would. You would. That, I think that might uh, affect your opinion on the uh, Courtney Hawkins hire of the wide receiver coach position. I I, I'm thinking differently about him now. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Matt, do you have anything else? Yeah, I was just gonna kind of to piggyback off of that. I mean, you you're saying you're pretty happy with all the hires, especially given the timing of everything. It's hard to expect a ton of like home run hires at the time that he had. What are your kind of your like short term expectations? The roster is maybe a little rough. The re- recruiting's not the best. So this this is definitely a rebuilding year. You know, are you expecting maybe like three to six wins and then looking to the 2021 season? Is that kind of your expectations right now? Yeah, it's hard to judge him. Like, it, it wouldn't be a fair judgment off of this first season just because of the recruiting hasn't been great over the past few years. So he's, he's inheriting a class that's ranked, I think, like 45th, which is horrendous. But for the first year, I would say, I would say five wins should be – where he, you know, he should have a five and seven season. I think that's kind of a lot of people's expectation. Anything more is just kind of icing on the cake. Making a bowl game would be huge. Twenty twenty one. I think if he wins, if he makes a bowl this year in his first year, recruiting should pick up instantly. I would think. I'm expecting top thirty ish classes from him consistently, whereas D'Antonio was anywhere from twenty five to forty. I think he'll be a better recruiter, and I think that he's got the right mindset as a coach, but he needs to you know, build it little by little instead of trying to hit a home run right mm-hmm. off the bat. So, yeah, I think five wins would be would be respectable throughout the fan base, at least the, the logical fan base who knows that it's not going to be a great year for Michigan State. That voice, Connor Muldowney. Connor, before we wrap up, tell our listeners again the best spots where they can follow you. You can follow me at, at Connor Muldowney. It's uh, C-O-N-N-O-R-M-U-L-D-O-W-N-E-Y or at Spartan Avenue or the Saturday Blitz on Twitter. Outstanding. Well, I hope you don't mind. We'll check in with you periodically, see what's going on with the Spartans. Sometimes we are, I just will say it, a little slanted toward the Wolverines, so it's nice to get the other side of the coin on here with us. Sounds good to me. All right, Connor. Thanks for the time, man. We'll check in with you later. Thanks for having me. Well, that's a wrap, everyone, and make sure you let our partners know you listen in. They include Advanced Elevator, Corona Connection, Rivals Tap House and Grill, Nelson House Funeral Homes, and Sheridan Auction Service. For Jared Fattel and Matt Burns, I'm Ted Fattel, thanking you again for supporting Three Point Podcast. Three Point Podcast is syndicated worldwide on Sports Radio Detroit and MWSN Radio. The show is a Sportsnet Michigan production recorded at the WJSZ Mid-Michigan Studios. Spread the word to your friends and family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or any of the other big podcast hosting sites. Comments and questions can be sent via social media at 3PointPod or by email to 3PointPod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, bye for now.